You're listening to Comedy Central. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Trevor Noah here. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. So we're now on day 22 of staying at home to try and prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you wear your underwear over your pants, they stay cleaner for longer. Eight days and counting, baby! Anyway, on tonight's episode, the coronavirus is making pandas horny. We pick Trump's best word of all time and why voting is turning into an extreme sport. So. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, before we get into the latest headlines, let's kick it off with some good news in our brand new segment, Ray of Sunshine. All right, first up is news out of India. So many people in India are quarantined in their homes that for the first time in a long time, you can actually see the real color of the sky. And this has happened in some of the most heavily polluted areas of New Delhi, where there was just smog every single day. And one of the images that's been going viral is this one that came out of New Delhi, which shows the before and after of 1.3 billion people staying at home. And that's amazing, right? Just look at how beautiful New Delhi is without any pollution. It looks like the entire city went on queer eye. You've been hiding yourself under so many layers of smog. You've got to let yourself shine, girl. I mean, goddamn, those are some blue skies. I bet India probably even forgot there was a time when skies weren't gray. It's the same way America forgot there was a time when presidents weren't orange. Yeah, they used to be brown. And it's not just the environment. With humans locked away, animals are also starting to flourish. Here's some good news coming out of Hong Kong. A zoo, which has been trying unsuccessfully to get its pandas to mate for 10 years, reported that finally, yesterday, the pandas spontaneously started having sex. And the researchers say they think it's because nobody is at the zoo. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need to be a researcher to know that that's what's happening. Of course, the pandas are having sex now that nobody's there. How do you think you would react if every day hundreds of people came to your bedroom window like, come on, have sex, do it. Come on, have sex, do it, do put it in. So I don't blame the pandas. I mean, like, even when I have one person watching me during sex, I'm like, hey, can you, can you look the other way? I'm, I'm just getting... Yeah, I'm just real self-conscious, right? Would you mind looking, look the other way? It's a lot of pressure. This just makes you realize that when we're telling our grandkids about coronavirus years from now, the animals are gonna be telling a completely different story. Grandma, 
Tell us about the coronavirus. Oh, little ones, it was a wonderful time. There were no humans, and your grandpa was smashing me like there was no tomorrow. So, good news for those pandas. Although the bad news is, now that nobody's watching, the monkeys have all stopped having sex. Yeah, those guys are freaky. Now, please, don't get me wrong. Corona's also bringing out some of the best in humanity. Lifting spirits during this tough time is a real superhero. Batman is hitting the streets of San Diego. By day, Chris Banner runs a lawn service, helping cut weeds and fire lines on people's property. But when duty calls, he suits up. He's got the bat suit and he's got the wheels, a replica 1989 Batmobile that he and a friend built. Normally, Chris gets paid to make appearances at birthday parties and other special occasions. But while the pandemic goes on, he decided to just hit the road and make people smile. Aww. That is such a sweet idea, man. That guy's a hero. I just hope he never started talking like Batman, because that would have freaked people out. Yeah, it's Batman. That's right, kids, it's me. Whoa, is that coronavirus? Get away, dude, get away. No, this is this is just how I- Well, this is not the time. Just use your normal voice, man. What's wrong with you? Yeah, you're right, I should- Okay, go back to that voice. That one is not cool. All right, that's it for the good news. Let's catch up with some headlines. Right now, the worldwide number of confirmed coronavirus cases has now steadily climbed to 1.3 million people. And while some countries are seeing progress, other countries are preparing for the worst. In fact, after facing criticism for his response to the pandemic, Prime Minister Abe Shinzo has now declared a state of emergency. And in Britain, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been moved to an intensive care unit after his coronavirus symptoms worsened. So now, because the UK doesn't have a line of succession for when the prime minister is out of commission, Johnson has deputized his foreign secretary to fill in for him. And I'm not gonna lie, I thank God that in America, the president doesn't just get to pick whoever he wants to take over for him. It's good that there's a line of succession because who knows who Donald Trump would pick. While I'm in the hospital, Doc Antle can take over for me. He's like a Dr. Fauci, but he f***s. Oh, and speaking of President Trump, while the US is bracing for an explosion of new coronavirus infections, the White House is also bracing for more backlash. You see, they haven't been listening to coronavirus warnings that they've been receiving for months. Just today, Axios reported that Peter Navarro, Trump's trade advisor, wrote a memo back in January where he warned very accurately that if America didn't take immediate action to stop the coronavirus, it would break out in the United States and it would kill hundreds of thousands of people. And on top of that, he also predicted that it would destroy the economy. So Trump got warnings from the HHS, got warnings from his intelligence agencies, and even got warnings from his own economic advisors. And he didn't heed any of those warnings. Basically, if there's ever a warning, Trump just will ignore it. Yeah, coronavirus, check engine lights. I bet even choking hazards. Half of Mike Pence's job is just pulling Legos out of Trump's throat. It was a yellow piece, so I thought it was a piece of cheese. I know, Mr. President, easy mistake to make, sir. Now, it turns out Trump has been ignoring so many warnings that the Daily Show investigation team managed to get some of Donald Trump's voicemails and... It turns out he was even ignoring warnings from coronavirus itself. 
You have four messages in your inbox. Message one. Hey Donald, this is Coronavirus calling. Been trying to contact you for a little while now. Wanted to let you know I'm going to be branching out of China into the United States soon. Uh, I'm sure your advisors have already told you all about me, but just wanted to confirm my schedule with you and see if you have any plans for me. Talk soon. Like, really, really soon. Message two. Uh, hey Donald, me again. I just saw you on TV saying that I'm not coming. Uh, maybe you're not checking messages, but I totally am coming. Like, I've booked the flights and everything, so give me a call or something, man. I'm starting to think you're ignoring me. Message three. Hello, Mr. Trump. This is Cynthia from the Adoption Agency. I just wanted to let you know that we can't take your son, Eric, because he's a grown man. I'm so sorry about the bad news. Message four. Yo, Donald, it's Corona. I'm at the airport. I thought you'd have someone here to meet me, but it doesn't seem like you've planned for my arrival. So I'm just going to hop into an Uber pool with some strangers and make my way into the city. Um, Let me know your sketch. I'm pretty free. I'm just going to go to a party tonight and then 20 parties tomorrow night and then 400 parties the night after. So hit me up later, bro. Now, the big story today is voting. It's how America picks its leaders and its dances with the stars. And in the time of coronavirus, voting has gone from being a boring civic duty to a recipe for disaster. Crowds of people packed into a tight space together, sharing pens, elderly poll workers. It's a coronavirus all-you-can-eat buffet. And that's all in addition to the usual dangers of voting, you know, like getting your hand stuck in the ballot scanner. That's like a thing that happens for real. And it's because of that corona risk that many states around the country have decided to postpone their primary elections until later in the year. But Wisconsin is not one of those states because today they held their primary elections as scheduled, which, as you can imagine, is a big problem because not only were Wisconsinites forced to choose between their health and civic duty, but... Thanks to so many poll workers dropping out, the number of voting sites was slashed across the state. Yeah, especially in urban areas. For example, the number of polling locations in Milwaukee went from the usual 180 all the way down to just five. Five polling sites for a city of 600,000 people. And I'm sorry, guys, those numbers just don't make sense. 600,000 people? divided by five, that's like, like we we all know what that number is. The point is it's unfair to the voters. And when Wisconsin opened its polling locations this morning, you could immediately tell that having the election today was a really bad idea. We turn now to Wisconsin, where despite the state's stay-at-home order, the primary is underway today. And after a day of chaos and confusion surrounding the vote, folks are now casting their ballots in person, despite fears of spreading coronavirus. And already, there have been long lines of polling places raising concerns about social distancing. There are people lined up around the side of the high school, around the corner, through the parking lot, and then into the road and sidewalk that extends beyond that school as well. Okay, seriously, this is just ridiculous. People standing around the block, huge numbers waiting to vote during coronavirus. This is ridiculous. There are only two reasons people should be waiting in line for hours around a block. Either Baby Yoda is doing a meet and greet 
or you're buying a pair of sneakers that are too nice to ever wear. And so you just put them in the back of your closet and you brag about having them, but nobody ever knows if it's true or not. That's what I do with my Jordan 5s. Clearly, this is not the ideal way to run an election, especially during a pandemic. So the obvious question is, why didn't Wisconsin delay their primary like all the other states did? Well, you see, it turns out Wisconsin's Democratic governor, Tony Evers, tried to delay the primary and he tried to make it easier for people to vote by mail but he was blocked by the Republican legislature. Now that doesn't make sense, right? Voting by mail might sound like a weird idea, but every state already allows it in some form. And not only that, five states conduct their elections entirely by mail. So many experts right now are arguing that the most responsible thing to do during coronavirus is just have everybody mail in their votes. Oh, and for my younger viewers, Mail is when you have like a message and you send it to someone on a, on a piece of paper. It's, um, it's like a TikTok, but in an envelope. Yeah. Oh, and an envelope is like an app, but you open it physically, like with your hands. So the big question is, why are many Republicans in Wisconsin and around the country resisting efforts to make it easier to vote? Well, I mean, they're still giving their usual talking points about trying to prevent voter fraud. But recently, prominent Republican leaders have been slipping up and telling the truth. Donald Trump has said that yeah. if, if we voted by mail, yeah. Republicans would never win again. The things they had in there were crazy. Uh, they had things, uh, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. The Speaker of the House in the state of Georgia has said the same thing, that you don't, they don't want more voter participation. This will be extremely devastating to Republicans and conservatives in Georgia. Every registered voter is going to get one of these. So, you know, this is going to, this will certainly drive up turnout. Okay, this is insane, man. These Republicans are afraid that if more people get access to voting, they're gonna lose elections. And so instead of just coming up with policies that are more popular, they'd rather just make it harder to vote. Basically, these Republicans believe in the free market for everything except themselves. I mean, think about it. If someone was getting bad scores at the Olympics, what would they do? Huh? They'd probably try and work harder and improve their routine, yeah? But if Republicans were in that situation, they would just be like, why are you wasting your time? Just steal the judge's scorecards, problem solved. I mean, for years people have suspected it, but now Republicans are just saying it out loud. We don't want more people to vote because then we think we're gonna lose. Yeah, I don't know why they're saying it out loud. I mean, maybe it's coronavirus. Maybe it's being quarantined indoors. You lock people up inside for long enough and the truth comes out. Oh, I'll tell you what I really think of your cooking, Melinda. So the battle around voting is shaping up to be one that will not only affect the primaries in the months to come, but also potentially the general election in November. Because coronavirus might go away in the summer, but just like pumpkin spice, it could make a comeback in the fall. And if some Republicans have their way with how all Americans can or cannot vote, then best believe those panda bears in Hong Kong won't be the only ones getting screwed. You know, before we all became the human version of indoor cats, there was some very important voting happening in this country. And I'm talking, of course, about the Daily Show's very own bracket tournament to pick Donald Trump's best words. We started with 64 words. 
Three million votes were cast by you. And tonight, my friends, we are ready to announce the winner. But first, since we have the time, and Lord knows we have the time, let's review some of the other contenders with one last look at the president doing what he does best, taking the English language and putting a dick first into a wood chipper. President Ulysses S. Grant, President Franklin Delano, Americans of all walks of life rose up, heart, lung, and liver transplants. We just sent another sock rocket. You saw that, right? Made a pivotal, really, and I mean, this was pivotal. Rich transition traditions. These historic accomplishments shades to be a sanctuary. In April of 2014, chasms of distrust. And then they announced there was no buys, no. In this business, no badness, no. I'm pretty certain Trump just took an entire dictionary and mashed it into a single word. Truly, truly talented. And you know, for a guy who doesn't drink, Trump regularly sounds like he's 15 beers deep. Even Obama did your man crooked. Now go tell Max Pence I need a pizza. Shut up a pizza and an oven. Shut up. So, which of Trump's best words is his best, best word? Well, here to reveal the winner are Michael Costa and Roy Wood Jr. Whoa, what a tournament, Roy. I mean, when we started this bracket a month ago, nobody knew the effect it would have on the world. People are now in quarantine. New York City has a hospital boat. The stock market has crashed. Pretty sure that's because of the coronavirus, but yeah, keep going. I just put you on mute intentionally, so I didn't hear what you said, but... But point is, the bracket made a big splash. Let's find out now who the winner is. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings. And God bless the United States. Thank you very much. Oranges, oranges, And look at this very real confetti falling from our apartments at the same time, even though we're not in the same apartment. It's amazing. I'm going to glue it together and use it as toilet paper. I got to say, Costa, Trump struggling to properly pronounce origins might be the hardest work he's done this entire presidency. Hardest work. And and oranges isn't even Trump's wrongest pronunciation, but it is his most embarrassing, and that's why it comes in for the win. Exactly. It's the most humiliating of all of Trump's words because he himself is Orange. And that's why it's the winner of Trump's best word. But Roy, we got some good news on top of that. Because Trump has been holding all of these daily coronavirus briefings, he's been giving us new words in the last three weeks that'll be in next year's bracket. Here's a preview of some of those words. Defeat the coronavirus, the coronavirus, show you some of the latest just the data to the highest level of activists. I mean, if you if you take a look at Pierre No Ricard, I thank them for their unwavering and unwavering devotion. Take an action to dispend and suspend transfusing it into six patients, six patients very, very, very powerfully. So six patients. I am confident that by counting and continuing remdesivir for hydroxy chloroquine and hydro hydroxychloroquine Roy Wood Jr. and Michael Costa everyone coming up I'll be talking corona economics with Gita Gopinath so stick around 
Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got to speak with Gita Gopinath, the chief economist at the International Monetary Fund, to find out what's gonna happen to the world's economy if the coronavirus keeps everything shut down. Check it out. Gita Gopinath, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you, Trevor. I'm just happy that you wanna talk to an economist. (laughs) I think economists are are some of the people we need to speak to the most right now because um, money is going to be the second biggest loser, I guess, in in coronavirus. Obviously, human life comes first, and then you have money, which people need to sustain themselves and survive. As the IMF, you lend money to countries, which means you can learn a lot about what countries are going through and what they need. What have you garnered, you know, from, from your insights into what countries need right now? So the first thing I just want to flag, uh, Trevor, is that we've had over 90 countries uh, come to us to discuss financial assistance. And so this is unprecedented. It hasn't happened before. So it tells you the scale of the crisis that we're dealing with. Uh, And I think what we need to keep in mind is this crisis is very different from any others we've seen, you know, the Great Depression, the Great Recession, which is the global financial crisis. And now this is the great lockdown that we're living through. So, so firstly, the shock is so unique. I mean, like you said, this is a human tragedy first. It's mm-hmm. a health crisis. So this is not something that we're used to. Second, in terms of helping countries and telling them to think about what comes next, there's so much uncertainty because economic policy is not going to be able to determine the spread of the virus or how intense it's going to be or how many deaths there will be. All of that mm-hmm. comes from public health and science. And the third factor is that while in the past, if you lent a country money and you told them to spend it, uh, that would stimulate activity. But this time around, we actually don't want people to go out and spend. We want them to stay at home. So this is about maintaining their economic system so that when this disease is under control, uh, you can see a faster recovery. I know this may sound like a really stupid question, but is there a point where money just runs out? If, if very few people are working, if everything is shut down, if nobody is moving money around, earning money, spending money, is there a point where governments say we don't have, or what, what happens at that point? What is the tipping point that as an economist you're worried about? So this is a, a crisis where given the scale of spending that we're seeing, we're going to see countries running very large fiscal deficits with their debts to GDP going up quite Uh substantially, with central banks putting in a lot of stimulus. Now, now, in theory, central banks can always put in as much stimulus as they want to. With that said, there are limits to what they can also do. But this is a real challenge that countries are grappling with. But that said, you have to think about the counterfactual, which is if you don't do what you're doing now, you could actually end up in a worse situation because the economic activity would collapse so severely that your debt to GDP would be even worse, right? So, so things could be worse if you didn't do what was needed right now. And I think that is something everybody recognizes at this point. Some people have argued that the economy 
could be put into a coma right now and it, it's not in effect dead because unlike the Great Depression and unlike the recession, as you said, there isn't, you know, a, a, a real underlying cause in the same way. It's not, you know, it's not a, a loophole in the market that's causing something or it's not a failure in real estate that's happened. It's, an, it's, a, it's a strange thing that's affected the entire market. And some argue that that means we can experience a huge jump afterwards where everything goes back to normal. Can that happen? And if so, how long would it take for that to happen? Uh, great question, Trevor. I, so to answer the question of what comes next, I think besides economists and policymakers, it's going to depend a lot on what health experts tell us, right? Because it's not going to be possible to bring the economy back up to 100% if we don't get this particular virus under, uh, under containment. So there's that huge piece that's there. Now, it is true that if all of this levels out and you're seeing some hopeful signs in some countries and you see some leveling off, then you can see a scenario where, you know, activity resumes going forward. So, in fact, our uh, projection is that 2021 will be one of uh, recovery. But there's so much uncertainty at this point. If this, if the containment measures work, and this is not a very prolonged period, if people can get back to work much more quickly, then we can think about a, a rebound coming, uh, you know, and policies that have been put in place, if they're effective, then we can see a rebound happening. So before I let you go, we, we, we're obviously talking about the economics of, of a, a health crisis that has affected every aspect of human life. Policymakers, as you've said many times, are going to be instrumental in deciding how governments respond and how nations are in fact going to be affected and how their people are affected. What is the advice you've given to leaders out there in how they figure out what to do with their economies? So the first thing we've, uh, first advice we've given is that when it comes to matter of health, do whatever it takes, right? Do the spending that's needed to protect people's lives, to protect medical professionals, first responders, because that is the number one thing that countries need to care about at this time. Secondly, it is very important to make sure that people who are losing jobs have, have, can maintain a basic lifestyle so that they have the income to be able to uh, feed themselves, to take care of their health. You know, basic services have to be provided to them. And it's very important to make sure that firms and small and medium enterprises have the resources that are needed so that they can stay alive. So that once we pass this phase, we can see a recovery happening much faster. Well, I hope they take your advice. Thank you so much for taking your time to explain some of this to us. And uh, I hope that you're right. And I hope it happens sooner than later. Well, that's our show for today. Before we go though, please remember, this is going to be a harrowing week for doctors, nurses, and first responders around the country. And you can help them protect themselves while they save lives. We need to help them get masks, gloves, and gowns that they need. So please, go to Thrive Global's First Responders First and donate whatever you can to help get PPE to the people saving our lives. And if you want to help in New York City specifically, please then go to the New York Mayor's Fund COVID-19 response and you can help them out. Stay safe out there, wash your hands, remember to wipe from front to back, not side to side, and I'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.